It's dark and I'm pissed off. I've slept in the spare room again, so I'm in no mood for a chat. When I go in, I do my usual, is it your head again? Have you taken paracetamol? But not in a nice way, in a way that he and I know will communicate my fatigue and frustration. The spare room is also his office, with an expensive pull-down bed. Meant for the occasional guest or my mother, not for a week now. A week, I've slept in the spare room because I snore. I keep him awake with my snoring. Or, to be frank, he keeps me awake with his snoring. Louder than mine. Though this is a point of dispute. A continual point of dispute. But for now, he's the one with the headache. I don't feel great. It's 7am and I want to drop our kids at school and get my coffee and go to work. The coffee that is the very expensive kind that I buy every day from the same very expensive coffee shop. Only today you have had your hand on your forehead and you tell me it feels like there is a knife running from the top of your scalp into the back of your neck. So I'll get steroids from your consultant. Something I can do. Something I'm good at. And it's not that we're not used to this. It's not that this is not par for the course. I'll get a few hours work in this morning and then pick up your medication and get sushi for our son to celebrate his last GCSE, which is today, and then bring them back at lunchtime. Can you cope until then, Jacob? There is silence. You're a terrible nurse, you reply. And I think you're right. I am a terrible nurse. I'm not built for this. A decade of rifling around for paracetamol and cold packs and nights in the spare room. And then I lean in to kiss you and you say, what's it like to have everything? And I say, I don't have everything because you are not well. Buying sushi is a complicated business. I am nervous to stray from the path. No eel or anything that looks too like a slither of cold egg custard perched atop a small boat of rice. But still, I buy too much. And wasabi peas, which I detest, but I know Jacob likes to flick into his mouth, lying on the sofa watching The Simpsons when I am working somewhere elsewhere in the house. How can he live with such an unbearable lightness of being? I like The Simpsons, but it never makes me laugh. My days are spent constructing story, manipulating truths, assimilating life into fiction to be performed, acted in, filmed, shot. I watch movies and comedies with the precise and earnest eye of a surgeon, not because I believe I am anything special. I am a writer, although that would denote a certain level of expertise. But in truth, I feel a fraud, uneducated, unbrilliant, at times, frankly, illiterate. I lie about the books I've read. I'm always trying not to be found out. If I'm going to see a film, I prefer to have read all the reviews and to know the plot beforehand. The joy for me is piecing together the narrative. I like being one step ahead of the audience, with my insider knowledge, like some second-hand moonlighting cop, sifting through the evidence, working out how it is done, how it has been crafted. Because she's actually a ghost, I want to scream. Or... He's in the boot of the car. Of course, he's in the boot of the car. I like to know how my story is going to end. And when I don't know, there is a kind of blind panic that unsettles, unnerves, terrifies me. 
like a wet finger run around the top of the glass. I have to wait until the sound of this reverberating hum dissolves, settles into silence again. And only then can I begin to breathe. The chef rolls and slices and arranges sushi in flowered plastic trays with such grace, a master of his craft. I watch, waiting in front of the counter. I appreciate this. Afterwards, I'll run to my office. I have missed the deadline. It's Friday, and on Friday, I am usually writing an email of apology that will fly into the arms of some small production company who will read it and sink a little, knowing they will have to wait another weekend for that script that is already several weeks too late. But today, I have an excuse. I have errands to run, steroids to pick up, a mission to accomplish. I drive to Queen Square, a scrubby square of grass and rose beds marked out in black railings where the drunks and the dogs and the visitors and the patients in wheelchairs and nervous parents walk, two steps behind their sick children, let out from Great Ormond Street for the afternoon for air and sun. Today, office workers are flopped on the grass, cheek by jowl with dust-covered builders from a nearby construction site, swigging coke and laughing in the heat. It's June. Did I say it was June? I walk to the pharmacy inside the National Hospital for Neurology and Neurosurgery, a warren of doors and grubby plastic and disorientated old ladies gripping out patient letters and nurses wheeling oxygen tanks. At the pharmacy, I wait for the small white paper box of steroids that I hope will bring relief for the symptoms that Jacob has had for the last seven years. The MS that we try not to name, but which hovers dark and damp, like fret on a cold day, threatening to disrupt another evening, another holiday. And then I'm out, weaving my way back to the car. Yes, it's June. So, I must have picked up the steroids, and after, after, that's when I drive to get the sushi, for our son, to celebrate. Yes, I bought sushi after. Otherwise it would have sat in a warm car, and I don't do that. I know I wouldn't have done that. In the car, I slide the box of pills onto the dashboard. And suddenly I'm crying. Not crying, sobbing. Not sobbing, bawling. Because I am tired of the years of steroids. And nights on the spare bed. And the passive aggression that accompanies every exchange as we tread around, over and under this illness. And I'm tired of pretending that any of this is okay. It is not okay. It is not okay.